Hey, everyone. So our sermon series over the past few weeks has been focusing on our church's mission. And so loving God, loving others, period, right? Hopefully you've heard that before now. So two weeks ago, Pat came and he talked about uh, just this, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And then last week he talked about the relational aspects between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So today I get to take us one step further on this transformative path and talk about the third step. And this is biblical literacy. So before you tune me out, because that sounds really, really boring, hear me out, because that's really not the case. I promise. So the story of the Bible, it isn't just about people who lived a really long time ago and some promises God made to them. It is actually our story. These are promises that God has made for all generations that go on for the rest of time. And so this isn't just something that happened a long time ago. No, it's something that happened yesterday and today and tomorrow and forever. And these promises are going to be valid one day when your grandkids are telling them to their grandkids. These things don't end. And so uh, this is really a story about God's faithfulness to people throughout all generations. And this is our story. This is, this is our spiritual history. This is just um, so important to understand it in a way that is uh, really revealing its truest meaning. So I'm very excited about it, and I want to share a little bit about what it means to become biblically literate. So let's just pray and start off today. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, this is your church, your time, your space. Come and say whatever it is you want to say to us. Come and speak now. All right, so when I was in college, I was having the hardest time hearing God (laughs) for like an entire season of life. It was really, really hard. Uh, I began to think, okay, did I make all this up? Am I crazy? Have I ever heard from God before in my life, or am I just totally crazy? And so I decided to go and find uh, kind of like the church grandpa. And so he was the oldest guy I knew, and I was like, he will know what to do. He can fix me. And so <laughs> I went up to him, and thankfully, Don Gerald, he's a great guy. He is actually the pastor, and he planted the Clarksville Vineyard Church. So I trusted him. We had a little bit of history together. And I started telling him my dilemma, and I was like, man. I cannot hear God, like, and I told him all the things I had tried and done, and uh, he just looked at me, and he kind of smiled, and he said, have you tried reading the Bible? (laughs) I was like, oh, man, no, so, um, yeah, and it's it's laughable now, because it seems pretty obvious, but I remember him saying, it's the universal source of communication with God. If you're ever having trouble hearing him, read scripture. And it's funny now because like it's true and it jump-started the conversation again and we ended up going through a really fun wild season of just really learning um, how to do ministry and all kinds of stuff that came out of that and it was a really really cool uh, thing and it all started just because I started reading scripture more. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) That the God that you know talks about love and justice and mercy in the Bible he finds all that relevant today and he speaks to us through that today. See, I think a a problem I see a lot is people want to read the Bible like it's a textbook. Like we're backing an argument constantly and we're trying to, you know, find things that really suit us. Um, It's the living word, (laughs) you know. It's it's not a textbook and it's our spiritual history. It's not just some ancient dissertation. It's really important that we begin to read it and see it through that lens. 
And so one of the things about uh, the Bible is there's a lot of stories, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty thick with stories. <laughs> it really is. But there is one overarching story in the entire Bible, and it carries all the way through from the very beginning to the very end. And so I want to talk a little bit about this really important overarching story. And so it's part of becoming biblically literate. It's just knowing the lens through which we read. And so we're familiar pretty much with the beginning of the Bible, right? God created. So there's creation, and it's really good times. You know, we're walking with God. God's walking with us. We're all in a garden. Things are great. And then we're told the fall happens, you know. Uh, Disobedience enters our world, and then through that disobedience, there's sin and death and brokenness and it's not really a good time anymore. And then Jesus comes and he, what? He sacrifices himself, right? And through his obedience that takes him to the cross, we are totally redeemed. And I think a lot of times that's kind of where we end the story. Creation, fall, and then we're redeemed. But there's actually so much more. There's this concept of the consummation of the kingdom. Now, what did I just say? All right, consummation, it means the completion It is the very end of this era. And so, yeah, we had creation, and then we had the fall, and we've been redeemed. But there's this thing that we look forward to, and it's being united again with God. It's being one family once again, one divine family. And so the story of the Bible is about us becoming unified with God again in his just absolute pursuit Uh, of us. In all situations, through his love, he finds us. And, you know, it's not something that we just have to look forward to, you know, like, ah, sucks. One day we'll all be in heaven, this will all be done. Or one day we'll be with God, and I won't have to worry about this anymore. And, you know, it can get really easy to get kind of, like, you know, discouraged. It's like, ugh, I have to wait until, like, all this is summed up before anything good happens. But that's really not the case. See, this has already begun. The consummation has already begun in the life and ministry of Jesus and is now carried out through the Holy Spirit in his church today. This new world that we hope for hope for is already come to happen. And so we get to experience that every day through the work of the Holy Spirit. And the main vehicle of transportation of the Holy Spirit is the church. And so um, there's so much to the story that I really want to get into, and I just can't on a Sunday morning because, uh, well, I would keep you here for hours. And so, <laughs> but the Bible Project has a really good video on this, and they can just illustrate it in a way I can't. So we're going to spend just a minute and we're going to watch this video, and hopefully that will kind of clarify some things. The Bible is an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. 
So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. And that's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil, than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God.
Okay. So that's the story of the Bible, and it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to this story in a unique way, and that's what the next video will begin to explore. Whoa, there I am. Yeah, I love that video. So maybe this is a totally new way of looking at the Bible for you, and you're wondering, okay, where do I even begin? And I have a couple of suggestions for you. First off, there's like tons of resources on the YouVersion app, so if that's your jam, go for it. There's lots of devotionals and things that help you along. But also, if you would like to do this in a group of people, we do have two small groups starting up this semester or trimester, and one is the Bible Project, and it meets here at the church, and the other one is going through the book of Exodus. And um, it's one of my favorite books, so I suggest doing that one too. And so, but yeah, it's just really cool, isn't it? And so I, I like personally the Bible Project a lot. Um, I watch a lot of the videos. And the youth are probably sick of them, but I don't care because I like them. So <laughs> I'm going to keep showing them. But <laughs> um, one tool I use in my personal life that I find very valuable, I'm going to share with you today. It is called the SOAP method. And so I just find this very helpful in my individual study of Scripture. Sometimes this takes me three minutes in a day. Sometimes this will take me like 30 minutes. It's really just uh, what I have time for. You know, sometimes I do it in the car. Well, I don't read in the car. Don't read in the car. But <laughs> sometimes I think about these things while I'm in the car driving. Sometimes I, you know, set across, you know, just some time for it. But SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is picking a scripture. I do not suggest just going through and picking out random scripture. I would try to start in a book. And whether you work all the way through it or not doesn't really matter to me. Uh, just do whatever you're comfortable with. But I find that when I pick just little sections to go through, sometimes I have to back up a lot because I'm like, oh, who's even talking right now? So I just find it less confusing. I get like a very clear context of who's speaking and what is going on in the story. And so I um, also then ask myself a bunch of questions. You know, what is being highlighted in the scripture? This is under observation. You know, what, what things am I observing? Um, what emotions come up? Do I feel convicted? Do I have like a thousand new questions? And uh, what's something new I learned? So I'm, I'm just kind of noticing the things that I'm picking out of the scripture. And then there's application. And that's just, how can I apply this to my life? How can I make this go from something in the Bible to something that I can really use in my own life? And then prayer. And this very easily usually turns into a prayer, that application part. It's just, what is God showing me and how can I pray that? You know, pray that that happens. Pray that I, I go further in that journey with him. And so I kind of want to show you what this looks like. So I picked a reading from the day I wrote this. And I thought we would just kind of go through it together. So, like I said, I like to pick just kind of one book and work through it. So I picked John because I like to start my new year with John. I don't know. It's just something I do. And um, next, I'll probably go to, like, Exodus or Numbers or something. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> or Deuteronomy, Barb. Come on now. So, um, yeah, so it doesn't really matter what you pick. Just stick to one. If you want a really short book, do Philemon. It's like two chapters or something ridiculous. So anyway, this is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, his name was Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is that everyone is born of the Spirit. Well, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe when I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted up, or lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It's a really cool passage. I like it a lot. And so now I go through the thing. Um, observation. What was highlighted to me? What stood out? What questions do I have? What kind of things are instantly popping into my head? And so um, the, for me, that was the last two verses. And it was, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, if I ask 10 different people what stood out to them, it's going to be 10 different things. I love this. There's no right answers. There's no wrong answers. There's not like a bad part to pick. And it's kind of funny because like any good Jew out there, of course, I see Moses and instantly I'm like, yeah, Moses, that sticks out to me. And I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to go, oh, it's just because I love Moses. I'm going to just know that Holy Spirit can talk to me and speak to me through the things that I like. So I like Moses. He stuck out to me. So here we go. Um, so when I looked at that last verse, I just instantly like flashed back to um, a story in the uh, book of Numbers. And I don't know if you know, it's in uh, Numbers 21, I think. Yeah, 21. And it's a great story. It's um, the Israelites are wandering around in the desert, as usual, and they are thirsty, and they are hungry, and they're like, we have no bread, we have no water, and we're tired of doing this. And so God provides for them every single day. Like every day, bread is coming down from heaven. He is supplying them with water, and still they're wandering around complaining. It's just it's the whole four books, really. So, um, yeah, it's not a good situation. So um, they start slandering God, and they start slandering Moses. And um, so some venomous snakes come out, and they start biting them. And then the Israelites start dropping, like, a lot. Like, they're dying, and it's not good. So they're like, hey, we, we think we messed up. And so they go to Moses, and they're like, hey, can you go before God for us and tell them, well, we're really sorry, and they take the snakes away? And so Moses goes before God, and God is like, yeah, okay, this is what you need to do. Take a bronze snake and put it on a pole and then stick it up in the air, and everyone that looks at it is going to be saved. And that's exactly what Moses does. And everyone who looks at this pole with the, you know, with the bronze snake on it is instantly saved. 
So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who's a Jewish leader, who knows the stories of Moses. This isn't a surprise to him. And so when he says that, Jesus is trying to give him a very prophetic picture of who he is. He's saying, just like the snake was raised up in the wilderness and everyone that looks at it is saved, like, that's who I am. I will be raised up and everyone will be saved. And just a side note, you notice how like the Old Testament and New Testament, they really complement each other, and they flash back and forth a lot. So things that are promised in the New Testament are fulfilled in the, or vice versa. The things that are said in the Old Testament are like fulfilled in the New Testament, and the things in the New Testament are always flashing back to the Old Testament. This isn't just like convenient that they put the two books together in one book, you know, the Bible. Like it, it's the Old Covenant and New Covenant, the Old Testament, New Testament, but it's all one book. It really is. So you kind of have to read it in that context, which is um, a little overwhelming sometimes, right? So I would suggest joining a group, you know, going back through some of the Old Testament because it really highlights the New Testament and what Jesus is saying and what he's doing in these stories. All right, so the next step is I have all these thoughts in my head, right? So I'm like, oh, Moses, Jesus, okay, lots of things going through. And so now I ask myself, how does this apply to my everyday life? How does this apply to me right now? And it's kind of funny because I actually instantly, like when I asked Holy Spirit that, it's like, okay, Moses lifting up the snake, Jesus being lifted up, very cool. What does that mean? And so I kind of felt like I had this song instantly pop into my head. And I want to share the words with you. And um, it's one of my favorite songs, really. So I, I do listen to it. It's, it's not super uncommon for this to be in my head. But these are the words. It says, may your struggles keep you near the cross. And may your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. See, may your whole life prove that God is good. And so I was thinking about just some of the troubles and things, the battles that I'm going through right now. And I was thinking, you know, I, I've been trying to do a lot of that on my own. And, you know, just trying to figure it out, really like pain management. You know, like how can I best uh, kind of subdue the problem? How can I just kind of keep it contained and uh, deal with it? And so I've been thinking through that. And um, I just really felt like God was like, hey, just like I was... Uh, raised up, just like Moses raised up the thing, like, I am here to save all and deliver all. And so he was like, I want you to bring it all to me. And I was like, okay, okay. So um, <laughs> so uh, it very naturally at this point turns into a prayer. It, it doesn't take much work. You know, it's just like, God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. You know, Thank you that you have always pursued us and that you're always pursuing us. And I just ask you to lead me in whatever that looks like to give you everything. And so that is the SOAP method. Um, I do encourage you. I'll put it on Facebook later if you want me to. That way you can kind of see the, the application of it. But I feel like this is an important step, just being able to hear God through scripture and becoming biblically literate. You know, it, it's, it's really being able to hear him and be guided by him in his word. And it's knowing how to read the Bible through the lens of this really big overarching story. I mean, it, it's really, really cool, actually. And it, it's much deeper. So I, I encourage you just to, to join a Bible study, to do the SOAP method, to try out you version, whatever it takes for you to um, begin to realize that this isn't just a story that happened a long time ago, that this is our spiritual history, and this is really our story that we get to walk out. And one day, 
we will all be united with him again. But that consummation, that era, is breaking through constantly even today. And so um, I'm just going to go ahead and transition now into a time of communion. And so during this